is 1209. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It is a gorgeous day. We are down at the lakefront. It is day, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six of Summerfest. After a one-day hiatus, Summerfest is back. The gates have just opened. It is an absolutely gorgeous day. I'm telling you, the temperature, it's not too hot. It's not too cold. There is a very nice breeze coming off the lake, and I'm going to be broadcasting from here for the next two and a half hours. If you're coming down, stop off and say hello. The reality is the lakefront is going to be packed a little bit later on because you've got the big July 3rd fireworks and... There's no better place to watch the July 3rd fireworks than from the Summerfest grounds. A lot of great entertainment. Hope to see a lot of people down there. Now, this is an interesting day because, of course, it is July 3rd, but uh, the Brewers have an afternoon baseball game. It's not too often that on a non-holiday day you have afternoon baseball weekdays, but we we do have that, at least on on a Tuesday. So um, it'll be a great situation where you can actually listen to the Brewers game or actually go out and see the Brewers game. I was at Miller Park last night. Twins aren't a very good team. Paul Molitor is their manager. It was good to see Paul Molitor back. And it was good to see the Brewers end up winning. And these are the games you just absolutely have to win. So all that's going on. I'm with you till 2.30 in the afternoon. Then we've got the Brewers game. Then Greg Matzik's going to be broadcasting again here from Summerfest. But come on down and enjoy the day. All right, a lot of great stuff going on. Let us get started. Now, let me kind of back into the topic I want to lead off with you on. Um, I think as many people know, a couple of years ago, my, my, my wife passed away. And Social Security has a, a death benefit for, for survivors, and everybody gets it. It's about 250 bucks, and you have X amount of time to collect it. And for whatever reasons, I was just I, I wasn't putting in for it. And and somebody had said to me, you know, did, did you put in for? It's a couple hundred dollars. Did you put in for this money? And I said, no, you know, I, I haven't done it yet. Well, well, why not? And I said, well, because I I don't know. It's probably going to be a lot of paperwork, and there's going to be all this and that. And a, a number of my friends said, okay, Jeff. If you really reach the point in your life where if you're entitled to a couple hundred dollars and you're just too lazy to go out and, and to do just to get it, all you have to do is ask for it. Well, okay, then then tell us and start you know handing over your paychecks to us. And I, I thought about it and I thought, well, they're they're right. So I ended up <clears throat> I checked out on the web social security on their website, didn't take very long to do, ended up making a phone call, and I will tell you, you know, you you're always concerned about working with government bureaucracies. Social Security was the easiest thing. I mean, I was really incredibly impressed. I call this number, talk to the uh, three-minute wait. Woman comes on. She tells me what I need to do. She says, well, here, tell you what, we can even schedule a phone interview for you. They set up a date. They say, okay, somebody's going to call you back at 9 o'clock in the morning. They say, well, I've also got a couple other questions, you know, related to other Social Security type issues. No problem. You know, here, that that person can help. That day comes. The phone rings at 9 o'clock. The person's there. It's all taken care of, and a couple of days later, I get the check for a couple hundred dollars. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh, th- th- this is, you know, th- this is great. I mean, it's really like, I mean, it- it's kind of like found money. Now, of course, under the circumstances, this isn't what you'd like to do to have to collect money from the government, but it was money that you were entitled to, and all I had to do was make a couple phone calls, and I'm all set. Now, I have been thinking about that as I've been looking at this particular story. A number of months ago, Because the state of Wisconsin collected more in taxes from all of us than they need, the state of Wisconsin made this decision that they were going to return a portion of those overpayments in the form of a child tax rebate. Now, this was controversial at the time because, for example, that this surplus that the state developed 
Well, it, it came in part from you know money that people who don't have children you know paid into it. Um, but there was the ongoing debate about what's fair. How do you get this money back to people? And ultimately, the legislature said, "All right, here's the deal. You know, we're we're going to give a child tax rebate back. So people who have children who have paid taxes, you're entitled to a hundred dollars back per child. The deadline." to file for this was yesterday. They sent out postcards to all the people who might be entitled to this. They've been promoting this heavily. You know, you've heard it on radio, you've heard it on television, but but it's it's free money. It's $100 or $200 or $300. All you have to do is fill out this form, which is incredibly easy to fill out, and you get the money back. Well, all right, interesting story in the Journal Sentinel yesterday. They estimate that there's about 671,000, you know, people who are el- families who are eligible for this money. $100, $200, depends on how many kids you have. They estimate that there's 671,000 people who are eligible for what is essentially, from their perspective, free money. As of 1230 on Monday, more than 435,000 families had applied for the dough. Okay, well, that's great. But what that means is there are approximately 135,000 families who have free money waiting for them, that least, at least as of five, six, seven hours before the deadline, hadn't applied for the money. They're just leaving that money on the table. Well, I mean, seriously, what's... What is up with that? Right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it because people didn't know about it? Is it because people are too lazy to go after it? Or is it because people just decided, well, 100 bucks or 200 bucks or 300 bucks isn't worth the effort? Now, this morning, I tried to figure out what the final number was. I mean, how many people applied by the deadline at the end of the day yesterday? And, and, and maybe it was an extra fifteen or 20,000, so it might not be 135,000 families. Maybe it's only going to be 125,000 families who didn't go out and get the free money that the state of Wisconsin wanted to give to them. So what's going on? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you were entitled to this money... Did you reach out to try to get it? And if you didn't, why did you leave this money on the table? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a minute. It's 1216. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from Summerfest 2018. It's 1218. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from Summerfest. The gates just opened up a little while ago. This is Benjamin Booker, who is performing this evening. So at 10 o'clock at the Johnson uh, Controls World Soundstage. Come on in and check it out. All right. Um, Wisconsin made the decision that they were going to return some of the surplus to people in the form of a $100 child tax rebate. For, for families. And so it's, it's 100 bucks per children, per child. You have to apply for this. And they sent postcards. You know, we've been talking about this. The deadline for applying was yesterday. According to the Journal Sentinel, as of 1230 on Monday, 
what had happened was there were still about 135,000 families that had not applied. Now, my guess is that that number went down slightly, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm convinced that you're probably going to have at least 100,000 families, maybe more, who made the decision not to take the money. Michael in Milwaukee. Michael, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how are you doing? Real well, thank you. Why wouldn't people take the dough? Well, my thought is, right or wrong, I'm thinking a lot of people are getting away with a lot of scams for free money from the government, and they're afraid to put their um, their name out there legally so that they will be uh, caught. Well, of course, but this is coming. <laughs> this is coming from people who. Uh, this is coming from people who've already applied for taxes. So you know they're so they're in the tax system anyhow. It's it's not. It's not like that they, they haven't filed. Um, so, but but you think they're still? They just don't want to fool with the government, huh? I think so. Yes. I mean, every a lot of people give false information when they're filing taxes. Yeah, I guess so. I, I guess so. I mean, I, I'd like to think it's not 140,000 families. I mean, I, I, or or maybe people are just more well off than I think that well, you can actually, turn your back on 100 or 200 actually, or 300 bucks. Actually, I think that a lot of the people that already have applied for it are just hoping that they'll continue to get away for it with it. Um. Well, could be. Now, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's see on our text line. I'm guessing the main reason that many families didn't apply for the free money is that they have professionals do their taxes and therefore regularly tune out anything tax related, including the notices to those most likely eligible, or they knew about it but mistakenly assumed their tax professional would handle it for them, which isn't the way it works. Um, that would be dumb. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe that's the case. But, boy, I tell you, you're, you're leaving some dough on the table. Um, let's see. They already had all the information they needed to issue the refund from tax filings, including bank routing numbers. They hoped people wouldn't sign up. There was no need to have people sign up, in my opinion. Well, I, at the same time, I think they want to make sure that you – are actually entitled to it. So, I mean, I don't fault the state for saying, hey, you know, we, we want you to apply, just like, okay, if, if, again, your spouse passes away, you're entitled to Social Security benefits, the Social Security Administration has the fact that, you know, somebody's passed away, but you still have to fill out the forms and you still have to apply for this, and that's what people end up doing. 414-799-1620, Evan in Milwaukee. Evan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I think people are just lazy. <laughs> I'm serious. It's like the mail for rebate. Uh, when you go to buy a product or something, you just you have, all you have to do is get online or mail in a postcard, and you can save a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks. I'll get to it. I'll get to it, and then you forget about it, and then the time lapses. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, I, I mean, maybe you you don't think. You don't think this was a situation of people not knowing about it. You think this was just people kind of blew it off. Well, I, I hear about this. I'll get around to it someday and not realizing that there was a time limit or something like that. Well, I can only speak for myself and say that I was waiting for it. <laughs> so <laughs> we have two kids, and, yeah. and it helps. It really does. You know, and I think for everyone who well, doesn't have a kid, they can look at it, too, and say uh, maybe it seems unfair, but, um, you know, the tax breaks that we're getting now with Governor Walker – uh, we're all doing a little better. So. Well, yeah, no, th- thanks for calling. I mean, right, again, this is, um, 
you know, this is one of these situations where the, the money is just actually out there, you know, asking for you to claim it. And, you know, it's not like this wasn't something that was publicized. Now, keep in mind, one of the interesting political aspects of this is the state spent about a hundred and some thousand dollars sending postcards to all the people who might be eligible for this. And they were, and Scott Walker was criticized for that. Well, how, how dare you spend all this money suggesting that? Well, all right, if we hadn't have done that and people hadn't received notification, everybody would have been, or at least some people would have been screaming, oh, this is just a ripoff. You know, you put this out there, but you never intend to give them the dough. Um, Ross in Waukesha. Ross, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I'm Hi, Ross. Those, I'm one of those families that waited for the last minute to file. I uh, got the postcard in the mail and uh, put it by the computer and said, oh, I'll get to that later. And uh, <laughs> kept putting it off. And uh, Quite honestly, I was in bed at 10.30 last night. My wife's on Facebook and uh, sees a post about it. <laughs> And as soon as she said something to me, it hit my head. I'm like, oh, July 2nd was the deadline. <laughs> she didn't even have to tell me yeah. that yesterday was the deadline. It just hit my head. I'm like, oh, I got to go do that. I literally ran down the stairs, hopped <laughs> on the computer at 1030 last night. And uh, I have four kids, so it was 400 bucks. I was about to uh, not intentionally just sell that. Right, so it was for you. It was just pure procrastination. You knew about it. it you just didn't. Right, right. Well, it's, okay. So that now, a lot of times, people don't like to be wakened uh, awakened by their spouses. But for four hundred bucks, it it was worth her getting you up, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah thank, thanks for the call. Well, I, I will be curious. Like I said, I, I made a couple phone calls this morning because it were at Summerfest. My schedule's a little kind of off because I am going to be curious as to what the ultimate number was because my guess is. There's some people like Ross that, that are out there that, that did wait until the last minute, although my guess is there's probably not a lot of them. I think for most people, it was like our caller two, early, uh, two callers ago who was like, hey, I, I was waiting for this. As soon as, as soon as I could apply for it, I sent it in right away because I had 200 bucks coming back, and that's 200 bucks that belongs to me. Cindy in Kenosha. Hi, Cindy. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Did you get your money? Um, well, actually, I'm calling about my son because he's divorced. And he couldn't claim them this year. It's her turn to claim them, but he's not eligible. And he could have used that money for school, after daycare, school supplies. And he's not eligible, and I don't get it. You know, you, you know. Yeah, did, did the did the ex did his ex wife was his ex wife able to claim it? No, because she's in Illinois. Oh, oh, so, yeah. And you know he's, you know, thirty seven years paid taxes and are. Or 20 years paid, you know, the state taxes and everything, and he wasn't eligible. But, boy, I would have liked to, like he said, I could use that money really bad. Yeah, Cindy, thanks. Yeah, I don't know. Cindy, thanks for call. I, I don't know why. I, I, I don't know the nuances of, you know, when there's joint custody or something like this, who gets to claim it and how that all works out. And, and yeah, but that, but that's to the, to the bigger, the larger point here. It, it would have been nice for him to get a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks or however much money that there is out there. Um, and unfortunately that, that window has now closed. And I think there's some people going to be going, Oh, do you mean that I had to apply? And I, I understand there's some folks out there that think that, Oh, this was a scam that, you know, Governor Walker pulled and they, they shouldn't have made it hard and people shouldn't have had to apply for it. Well, Okay, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that if the state of Wisconsin is going to give you tax dollars, um, that you should at least you know have to fill out the form certifying that you still are actively entitled to that. And this is what it was all about. And if people decided they didn't want to do it, well, okay, send those checks this way. It's twelve twenty-six. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yeah, yeah.
1235. Jeff Wechter, WTMJ. That is Jay Cole, who is performing as the headliner at the American Family Insurance Amphitheater. We're broadcasting live from the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone down here at Summerfest. It is an absolutely gorgeous day outside during the break when I heard it was Jay Cole that was going to be the bumper music coming back. I was doing my own little rap. Uh, and, of course, everybody down here said, just don't do that again. Okay, I, I will stop. Let us review the bidding on the, the tariff wars here. Um, uh, it, with certain countries, particularly China, the United States runs a trade deficit. President Trump has decided, and this is what he promised to do during the campaign, that in order to try to deal with the trade deficit, what he was going to do is he was going to impose tariffs, that is surcharges, on goods that are being imported into this country from other countries. Now, the, the biggest problem of course, with the international trade market, is you have China that is is dumping goods onto the market. And so, you know, China is a problem. But President Trump, his actions aren't just targeted at China. His actions and his tariffs are targeted at Canada and at Mexico and at the European Union and a number of other of our allies and trading partners. So President Trump says, okay, we're going to put a 10% or a 20% import fee, a surtax, a tariff, on goods that you are bringing in. President Trump also says he thinks trade wars are good and they're easily won. Okay. Well, this is not a policy that a lot of mainstream Republicans and people like me who are free traders and people like Paul Ryan and Scott Walker and Ron Johnson, this is not a policy that I think many of us believe works. So anyhow, President Trump announces that he is going to impose these tariffs. And surprise follows surprise in response. Our trading partners, these other companies, countries say, okay, well, fine. If the U.S. is going to impose tariffs, we are going to impose tariffs. And a lot of these tariffs are targeted. The European countries, for example, or China or Canada or Mexico, they know where President Trump's support is. President Trump, for example, won Wisconsin. So in deciding, okay, what products are we going to target, they single out stuff. Oh, President Trump won Kentucky. We're going to target um, exports of bourbon. Oh, President Trump won Wisconsin. Here, we're going to target exports of ginseng and soybeans and cranberries. We're going to go after some of the states that you know President Trump won in an effort to try to put political pressure on them. Well, caught up in this whole mess is Harley-Davidson, a great American company, a great Wisconsin company, a great Milwaukee company. And let's face it, Harley-Davidson has had its struggles over the last couple years, in part because... The, the typical Harley buyer is aging, all right? You know, the, the dream of baby boomers to go, you know, buy the Harley and, you know, take off. And that, 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 that's all well and good, but baby boomers are getting older. And Harley has been wrestling with how do we get newer riders to who, you know, view hey, the, the idea of getting a Harley and heading off for a weekend or whatever. That, that's, that's my grandparents' dream, or that's my parents' dream. It's not necessarily mine. So Harley faces a variety of challenges. What Harley is trying to do is they want to expand internationally. They recognize the long-term success of their company isn't based on just selling bikes in Milwaukee or Wisconsin or the United States. And so what they're trying to do is get people in Asia to buy their bikes. They're trying to get people in Europe to buy their bikes. All right. 
Well, what happened is, in an effort to, after President Trump says, we're going to impose tariffs, what Europe says, the European Union comes, comes out and say, all right, fine, here's what we're going to do. We are going to impose a, a tariff on bikes, motorcycles imported into the European Union by Harley. And we're going to impose, by the time it's all said and done, it would add about 2000 to $2,200 per motorcycle. Okay, that, that's a huge chunk of change, and it's done solely in retaliation for the president's tariffs. Well, Harley is looking at it, and they're saying, okay, well, what are we going to do here? I mean, we're, we're, we need to expand our markets. Our, our long-range plans call for you know, the European market to be a, a huge chunk of, of our business moving forward, and if all of a sudden automatically our bikes have become $2,200 more expensive simply because we're caught up in this trade war, well, that, that's, that is a bad thing. So what Harley said that they were going to do to avoid this is they said, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to shift production of some of the bikes that we are manufacturing, and, and we're not going to make them in the United States and export them to Europe. What we're going to do is we're going to make them in Thailand, and then you know we're going to send them up to Europe. And since they're coming from Thailand, not coming from the United States, we avoid this tariff. And so that has now set off the entire debate. President Trump, of course, attacking Harley, saying this is, I mean, the people um, are going to be outraged about this. You know, he feels betrayed by Harley, et cetera, et cetera. He has been continuing this attack. And and today, July 3rd, he sends out a series of tweets. Here's one. Now that Harley-Davidson is moving part of its operation out of the U.S., my administration is working with other motorcycle companies who want to move into the U.S. Harley customers are not happy with their move. Sales are down 7% in 2017. The U.S. is where the action is. Okay, so President Trump goes after Harley. Now, it's true that Harley-Davidson sales might be down 7%. I, I think that there's a lot of reasons for that, most notably the factor that Harley's, again, been trying to figure out how to sell bikes to millennials to begin with. But if their sales are down 7%, adding an extra $2,200 to the cost of every motorcycle doesn't seem to be a very helpful way to go about it. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The the president seems to believe that in going after Harley-Davidson, Harley-Davidson customers and the American people are on his side. I criticize the president when I think it's appropriate. I support him when I think it's appropriate. I think he is totally out to lunch on this particular issue. I don't think there is anything to be gained by attacking good American companies. I don't fault Harley-Davidson for what they have done. What they did um, in shifting some of the production overseas. Now, I understand they were already moving some production overseas to be closer to some of the markets. But, you know, this latest move is purely in response to these arbitrary tariffs that have been stacked on their motorcycles simply because they are caught up in this trade war. And I think what Harley's doing is the inevitable response. I don't fault them for this, and I think the president is dead wrong. Number one, I've been saying this for the longest time about this trade war, but number two, I think he's dead wrong in attacking you know, a company, an American company like Harley-Davidson. And, you know, he's going to bring new motorcycle companies in. Well, okay, maybe the answer is... 
don't get into a trade war and allow the existing motorcycle companies to thrive and survive. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage uh, talk and text line. If you're on the line, hold on. We're going to be back to discuss this in just a minute. It's 1243. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from Summerfest 2018. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jay Cole, again, performing at the American Family Insurance Amphitheater, main stage tonight at Summerfest. I mean, seriously, what is Harley supposed to do? Um, in response to the tariffs that President Trump has imposed on the European Union, uh, the European Union says, okay, fine, 31% tariff on bikes made in the U.S., um, Harley Davidson. Right now, the numbers are it's about sixteen. Per, the European market is about sixteen percent of their sales. They're trying to grow that. Well, all right, they're competing with all these other manufacturers, bikes that are made in Europe. So all of a sudden, you add an extra thirty-one percent. That's about two thousand dollars or so per bike. You, you become non-competitive. So Harley says, "All right, we're we're going to shift some production to to Thailand to avoid this." President Trump is attacking them. This, to me, is, I mean, this is a problem caused by President Trump in the first place. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dennis in Fond du Lac. Dennis, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. Happy Summerfest to you. Yes, sir. What do you think? What do I think? Well, you know, I've been a union rep for a long time, and I'm retired now, so I get to sit back and take time and listen to all this good stuff that's going on. Goes on. <laughs> um, back when NAFTA went in, under President Clinton, that's when the tariffs were necessary. Now, Mr. Ross and Mr. Trump don't understand that we are in a global society. Mm-hmm. We buy so much stuff from overseas, and so much stuff, so many countries from overseas buy stuff from us. You can no longer do that. We don't make any televisions in, in the United States anymore. We make right. very little, you know, percentage-wise vehicles. Cars, trucks, all of that stuff. Right, you, you, uh, you, Dennis, you make an interesting point. I mean, I don't know what an American car is anymore because, okay, you've got cars manufactured in the U.S. that have a number of component parts that are made from all over the world. You have, you know, cars that are made, you know, um, overseas that have lots of American parts in them. I mean, I, I just don't know what it means to, to be an American car anymore. To your point, we're an international community. Right, Absolutely. When, when NAFTA first went in, one of the first things that happened is a company that I work for, we made wash machines, and we're one of the biggest commercial wa- uh, top-load washers in the country, and uh, um, we got our steel from Japan because we could mm-hmm. get it cheaper. And right. the type of steel we used wasn't something that the U.S. made, and the more we got from Japan, the less the United States made. And it's the same way with everything else that's going on, we keep we start putting tariffs on, like he's going to do, and it's going to really take us. Well, that's going to, we're going to take it in the shorts. All of the American well, yeah, public is going to take it in the shorts. Yeah, Dennis, thank, thanks for the call. Well, and it's going to jack up prices. I mean, you're already seeing this. So you put these tariffs on on imported aluminum. Well, let, let's talk about another Wisconsin company, you know, Miller. Miller Brewing, okay, you, you need the, the United States does not manufacture 
and it does not have the capability right now of manufacturing enough aluminum to meet the various needs. Uh, needs. So the idea is you've you got to import the aluminum that you're using for your beer cans, etc. All right, so by imposing these, now that you have the retaliatory tariffs, that means the cost of beer is going to go up. Just look at what's been going on in the stock market for the last three weeks. The stock market has, with a couple exceptions, been on a pretty much steady decline. And I swear, I think that's this, this trade stuff that's going on. Now, I mean, Harley-Davidson, I understand there's a lot of stuff that, that's that's happening with Harley-Davidson, and I understand there's a lot of challenges. But for the life of me, I do not understand why we want to attack American companies like this who are doing stuff in direct response to, I think, policies that you know the administration is implementing and if i'm if i'm harley davidson i'm sitting there saying okay we got to get into this european market and now all of a sudden the cost of our bikes through nothing nothing we have done the cost of our bikes has gone up to two thousand two hundred dollars well i mean that we have to figure out a way around that or we're not going to be able to compete david and raymond david you're on wtmj good afternoon Good afternoon. Uh, yeah, Trump definitely handed Harley the perfect excuse to make that kind of an announcement. Um, yep. I'm a global I'm a Google Trade Project Manager for risk analysis for my employer here in Wisconsin, and we are a multi-billion dollar company. And I can tell you right now, I just finished my analysis for both Europe Impact, um, China Impact, and Canada Impact, and it's not looking. It, it looks really ugly for us in the United States. Mm-hmm. And um, what horrifies me, uh, a couple things. One, I, you've already touched on it, I believe. Um, I, I believe a good president does not attack individual citizens and does not, does not publicly attack U.S. companies, number one. Uh, number two, if you are an allies, the current president has chosen to have no friends and no allies because of he's yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Derek. I'll let you go because your your cell phone is cutting out there. But I, but I, I mean, you you don't attack friends and allies. See, and I, I understand that the biggest problem with trade imbalance again, it, it's China, and I I don't dispute the fact that there's probably some bad trade deals that are out there. But I'm going to side with Ron Johnson and Paul Ryan and Scott Walker to an extent and say, okay, the way you deal with that is you renegotiate the the bad trade deals. Um, You don't just uniformly say, we're going to lash out in kind of this Wreck-It-Ralph approach. And, And also, if the problem is China, why are we picking fights with Canada? Why are we picking fights with Mexico? Why are we picking fights with the European Union? And again, these are What's happening, again, it's it's a targeted sort of battle. You understand that some of these com- countries, they they are trying to hurt the president um, in the areas that supported him, like Wisconsin. So that's why you see the ginseng and soybeans. And that's why you see, um, again, some of the battles that are being fought. And that's why you see Harley. Harley... It's one of these companies that we should be working with and recognizing we want this American company to grow, recognizing that no, not every bike is going to be made in the United States, but that doesn't matter if the company grows, all right, the number of jobs in the United States grows, and so the worldwide presence grows. But again, this, this approach of... You know, the tariffs that we're going to impose all sorts of costs and we're going to make it more expensive for everybody to do business doesn't doesn't make any sense to me at all. And I guess deciding to single out Harley Davidson and as he's doing today, suggesting, well, I'm going to try to bring in other companies that are going to compete with Harley Davidson. Well, okay, number one, I mean, good. 
Good luck with that. Harley Davidson is trying to succeed by expanding into the international market. Um, we should be trying to figure out how we can help them do that instead of saying, I'm going to try to undermine this great American company. And I guess I, I knew this was trouble. And I, I praise the president when I think it's appropriate. But I knew this was trouble when this whole thing started. Where he said, well, trade wars are good. Well, who the hell are trade wars good for? I mean, is it good that you're paying more to buy your cans of beer? Is it good that you're paying more to buy your cars? I mean, I don't see that being too terribly good for people. Is it good that people are losing their jobs? jobs because, again, the cost of doing business has gone up. No, we want to be encouraging open markets. We want to be encouraging product sales. You know, we don't want to be hurting us, and that is precisely, I think, what is going on with these tariffs. Here's Mitch who texts me. I don't understand the trade war at all. Harley Davidson has been an American icon, second most tattooed symbol, by the way, for decades. To lose them would mean that we lose a whole part of our culture. Well, you know, it's it's a reality. You know, it is a reality that that is, is out there. And, you know, you see some of these companies that they end up being fragile. Here's another text. Hey, Jeff, totally understand your point. However, I do believe Harley was going to move production anyways. Sometimes you need to break some eggs to make an omelet. Harley, Harley is collateral damage. I am sure that Harley was going to move some production. I, I, I don't deny that they closed what the uh, Kansas City plant they were shifting some jobs to to York I'm sure that ultimately they were going to move some jobs and some production overseas I have no problem I I get it but again they want to be closer to the areas of where they're distributing there is no question though that this has been I think increased by the idea that now as a result of this trade war you know it's going to cost $2,200 more per bike to buy an imported American bike in Europe and people aren't going to pay it. 12.55, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Once again, we're broadcasting live from the Gruber Law Office. It's Sports Zone down here at Summerfest. Lots of great stuff going on. A lot of my friends down here hanging out. That means you should come on down here and hang out as well. It is an absolutely tremendous day. And if you're looking for a spot to see the fireworks from um, it doesn't get any better than here at Summerfest. All right. After the uh, the battle about Act 10, what ended up happening was, you know, a number of people were suggesting and they were saying, look, costs are going to be going up and costs for health insurance are going to be going up dramatically. And that, that's true. But costs have gone up for everyone. Now, there's a new study out today, and the study talks about how much health care costs for teachers have increased since Act 10. And actually, the, the teachers, it's very consistent with what happened with other public employees. So here's the way this all breaks down. Right now, teachers, their employment, uh, their contributions to their health care, it, it, on average, it's slightly less than 12%. So what that means is the employer pays 88%. In other words, the taxpayers of the school district pays 88%, and the average teacher contributes about 12%. That is up dramatically from pre-Act 10, when in many cases there was little or no contributions at all that were made. All right, so teachers are saying, well, all of a sudden we've gone from 12%, you know, we've gone from almost nothing to now having to contribute 12%. All that, that's terrible. Well, of course, you always have to look at stuff, and you have to look at stuff in context. Many people do not know how much their employer pays for their health insurance 
and how much they pay for their health insurance. Now, if you're self-employed or you're in the Obamacare exchanges and you're out paying for it yourself, you know exactly how much your insurance costs. But typically what happens is um, your employer pays for the majority of the costs and you contribute a portion of it and, and maybe you're paying attention to that amount that comes out of your paycheck every two weeks or, or, or not. But I think a lot of times people who are in particularly the private sector don't understand how much, I mean, maybe you look at it and you say, gosh, I'm paying a couple hundred dollars every you know, two weeks for my health insurance, and you think, boy, that's a lot of money, and it is a lot of money, but you don't realize how much your employer is paying for that. So here, here are the numbers, and it's kind of tough to pin this down, but um, in 2015, for example, if you look at the average the average company provided health insurance benefits. So again, we're, we're talking averages, maybe a little bit different, but for on average, on average, for family coverage, employers typically paid 72% of the premium. And the employee for family coverage paid 28% of, of the premium. Um, for example, for family coverage, this is 2015, the average policy totaled $17,500 a year. Employers contributed on average about 12500 which was 72%. Employees paid 28% or almost 5000 Now, that's on average. It's going to be more for some. It's going to be less than others. It's going to vary a little bit with co-pays and things like that. But the average family, the employee is paying 28%. All right, now this new study comes out and says, well, well now public employees in general, and, and teachers in particular, now they're contributing on average 12% towards their, their health care costs. And that's, that's, of course, more than nothing or more than 1% or 2%. But from a perspective point of view, it's still dramatically less than most people in the private sector contribute. Not all, but most people. And it's below the average of what public employees contribute. I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Public employees, since Act 10, now have to contribute more towards their health insurance than they did before Act 10. There is no question about it. At the same time, the state benefits, the benefits as far as what you contribute as an employee to your health care costs, are still dramatically lower than what you would be, in general, contributing You know, if you were in the private sector. So at the end of the day, I guess the question is, has Act 10 really been that devastating? Is it unreasonable to expect somebody in the public sector, and I, I value public sector work. I mean, I worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office for you know the better part of you know 12 years. So, I mean, this isn't, I don't view this as a war on public employees, but what Act 10 clearly did is it brought public employees more in line with the private sector, but you're, you're still not there. If the average teacher, for example, is contributing 12%, um, again, the average private sector person is contributing 28% towards family coverage. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The headline in the Madison paper says, New State Data, Post-Act 10, Teachers' Health Care Costs Soared. Well, I, I, I don't know. Maybe the story should be, even post-Act 10, Public employees' health care con- contributions still 
are dramatically less than in the private sector. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will also say that if you look at some of the different insurance plans that are out there, uh, and it, it, again, it varies, when you're talking teachers, it varies from school district to school district, and I, I get that. I mean, some are better than others, but I, I'm willing to bet that a lot of those plans are going to compare favorably with a lot of the plans that are offered in the private sector. All right, let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon. Uh, hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, Jeff, hi, and, uh, I just want to say that the teachers and uh, government employees are just getting in line with the real world, you know, uh, getting in line with uh, paying what everyone else is doing. Um, well, well, right, and, and it, again, it's not, I mean, I, I thought what really attracted my attention was I saw this headline, it says, health care costs soared. Well, okay, yeah, but it's still, it's still, it's 12% when everybody else is paying 28% on average. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's more, but it's still a pretty darn good deal. It is a great deal for them. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, well, I mean, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Now, look, and I, I understand that you can make the argument that, well, I mean, historically, um, for example, public service workers have been underpaid, and the, if you want to make that argument, and, and the way that it's been compensated by is by the, these these lavish benefits, and that's kind of the way it's evened out. Um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe, but it's a different world out there now. Let's see. Here's a text. My wife is a teacher in the district. We just had our first child. The teacher's insurance paid everything but $300. If public employees think this is too extreme and too much, they need to see what the private sector pays. 414-799-1620. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more of your calls in just a moment. Again, I, I don't want to turn this into a war on public employees or teachers in particular. That, that is not my intent. But when I see this headline that says, oh, the costs are soaring because now you're contributing 12% towards your health insurance, well, I mean, part of my line is what Mark's saying. Mike's saying is you, you got to you got to get real. There is this world that's out there, and you, you know you you, you got to just look at what other people are paying to decide whether you're getting ripped off or not. All right, back with more calls in just a moment. It's one seventeen. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One twenty. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone. We're down here at Summerfest. That is, of course, Trace Atkins performing at the Uline Warehouse this evening at 10 o'clock. 414-799-1620. Jane in Pewaukee. Hi, Jane. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I am, I'm, I'm down at the lakefront. It doesn't get better than this on a July 3rd for me. That's true. So uh, I have been in the employee benefits world for over 30 years and recently retired, and I quoted on the majority of the public sector employers out there, so I saw firsthand what their benefits were. So Uh not only do a lot of the public sector employees pay less for their benefits, but their benefits are incredibly rich. They have 100% dental plans, and that's Every single public sector, it, it does vary by um, different municipalities, say, and different school districts. But some of them have a hundred percent dental plan. <clears throat> really, a hundred percent? Oh yeah. Mm. Oh, see, I, 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 we have a real good dental plan. I just had a crown put in, but it didn't cover a hundred percent of it. You know, it did, <laughs> yeah. that, that's unheard of. You know. Yeah, and disability plans that cover a hundred percent of their wages. And medical plans with that may only have a five hundred dollar deductible when the private sector averages probably five thousand now. Right. 
So it's the, the value of the plans, too, vision plans that cover the majority of the, the cost versus the voluntary vision plan that you see at a lot of times in the, in the private sector. So public employees not only pay less, but their benefits are much richer. Well, no, and I also understand, I mean, the flip side is there, there are sacrifices that you end up making and things like that. But I guess I, when I was looking at this headline and I'm thinking, you know, to your point, okay, the, the, the benefits are quote unquote richer and, and you're contributing 12% instead of contributing maybe nothing a few years ago. But still, that, that's, I don't think people realize what a bargain that is when mm-hmm. compared to most of the people in the quote unquote real world. Exactly. Yeah. They, they seem to take it for granted. And granted, not everybody, but uh, a lot of them would just still complain that they had a, a $25 deductible on their, their dental plan when the rest of the world has a hundred. So, Right, right. I mean, thanks for the call. Exactly. Or, or limits or, or whatever. And again, I don't, I don't intend this to be, and my intent is not for like a public employee bashing sort of thing, but, but, it, but it is true that, I mean, what one of the things that Act 10 did was it, it shifted some of the costs over to the employees. And by the way, I get it. I mean, I, nobody likes to pay more for this stuff. And if, if all of a sudden my employer here, Scripps, said, okay, well, you know, suddenly we're going to dramatically make you have to pay another 15 or 20% towards your health care costs, would I like it? No, I, I, I wouldn't. But at the same time, you know, I'd say, okay, well, what are other people paying? And if it turned out everybody else was paying 50% and I had gone from 10 to 20%, I, I wouldn't like paying that, but I'd still come to the position of saying, well, okay, maybe this isn't really that bad. Allie in Waukesha. Allie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. I just wanted think? to make a comment um, listening to your previous caller. I am a public school educator. My husband is a public school educator. Um, and I don't know what she's talking about, like $25 deductible. We have almost a $3,000 family deductible, and we have always had a deductible. And not only that, everybody rags on teachers for summers off. I work all summer. I teach summer school. My husband works for a catering company um, to make ends meet. But I just want to say more than that, the worst thing that the whole Act 10 thing did for this state was, like, open up this Pandora's box of teacher-hating. Okay, like, in just, I feel like, you know, they don't respect mm-hmm. teachers anymore. And because of that, no one wants to go into the field of education. Like, that's, that's a big deal. Who do they think is going to educate all the kids in our state? Like, uh, at my school, there was a, a third grade position open last year, and only 20 people applied for that position, where in years past, you know, a couple of hundred people would have applied. So, you know, I think that's bad. <laughs> Really well, I, well, I mean, obviously, obviously you, you need to have teachers, but I guess I'm, okay, so you had 23 people apply for an open position. I mean, you know, one of the things that's going on now, though, you got to realize, Allie, is we're, we're pretty much close to full employment. Um, I mean, 23 people for one job opening, I guess most of us are listening to it and saying, oh, that doesn't sound bad. It sounds like you've got a pretty large choice there. Well, I mean, it used to be, you know, people were fighting for their mm-hmm. positions. They they cared. <laughs> they um, you know, when they went into college, they went into the fields of education um, mm-hmm. among, you know, pools of other people, and there was some actual competition. <laughs> so, do you think Act 10 um, do you think Act 10 is responsible for making fewer people want to go into the field? Oh, absolutely. And not just because of the money, you know, like how our benefits and retirement package and mm-hmm. everything has been affected, but because 
because of all of that, it just seemed like everybody just started ripping off teachers, thinking that we're on vacation all summer, um, when in reality, you know, you get whatever walks through your door in mm-hmm. the public school sector, and you do your best to deal with anything society throws at you, with students, mm-hmm. with disabilities, with parents, and um, I just... Oh, I, no, I, I, I understand there's a lot of challenges. I, I, let, me, let me give you the flip side of this, Allie, because I, I have a... I have a I have a friend, and, and this is anecdotal, okay, so I, I understand that. But I, I have a friend who is a teacher who loves Act 10 because he has been able to, he, he's got some special skills, and he's been able to, and, and his skills are in demand, he's been able to switch school districts and, and, and increase, I was going to say dramatically, I don't know if it's dramatically, but he's been able to make more money by switching school districts because he, he's in demand. There There is this you know, competition that's out there now. So instead of just being based on, you know, your your seniority and whether you have a master's degree or not, he, he's actually been able to generate bidding wars almost. And, and, and he now makes a lot more, he makes more money than he did before because, you know, again, his skill is in demand. Do you think there's some teachers that, that do benefit under Act 10? Um, I don't know that Act 10 would have anything to do with that. You know, I mean, pay scales are pay scales and um, whatever. Every district sets their own. But, mm-hmm. um, I, I, it, yeah, I suppose I actually yeah. saw um, something like that just recently happen. Um, yeah, with the teacher who's leaving our district, and it is it is quite a loss, uh, you know, to lose this particular yeah. guy. So, But I, I think it's far and few between that any teacher would benefit okay. from no, no, th- thanks for calling, Al. I appreciate it. And th- that's fair enough. I will tell you, again, that the person, and, and this is not a made-up story, it's somebody who I, I'm relatively close to, and he, he's, every time I see him, he says, no, Act 10 was the greatest thing in the world because it it allowed us to be more competitive. Now, again, he, he teaches in a certain specialty that's in demand, so he's in demand, and, and actually he kind of gets recruited from, from different, different districts that are out there. I guess the bottom line is, and this, this isn't intended as teacher bashing, and I hope nobody interprets it that way, but it, it's, I, and I also appreciate that wages have been, um, the cost of livings have been essentially dramatically reduced, and, and wages have been essentially you know frozen. But at the same time, that that's true of a lot of places in the private sector as well. My only point is you, you have to keep perspective on this. So when you see the headline, well, teachers' costs, health insurance costs have soared. Yes, they they've soared. They've gone from you know zero, or they've gone to from three or five percent to to twelve percent. Yes, that's an increase, but you got to have it in perspective. It's one twenty-eight. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's one thirty-five. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Once again, we are broadcasting live from Summerfest. 2018. This is Foster the People. They are performing 10 o'clock this evening at the Miller Light Oasis. For the wealthiest Americans, there may never be a better time to get divorced. Jay Matinair has the details about the change in the new tax law, 521 Thursday on Wisconsin's Morning News. Yeah, that's a, um, what, what, what she's talking about is that um, as, as part of the tax reform package, alimony, is no longer going to be deductible. <laughs> so it's it's like if you're wealthy and you're planning to get divorced um, and you're worried about tax consequences, this might be the time to do it, which, of course, is, is counterintuitive to everything you want to say, which is, you know, let's try to keep marriages intact. All right, I've been fascinated to discuss this story with you because my, my question is simply, does this bother you? I am willing to bet 
that, at least for most people, maybe you're different, but most people, when, when you get your, your monthly telephone bill, and, you know, the, the, from the wireless provider, or you get your cable bill, um, or, you, you know, you get some other sort of utility bill. My guess is that you look at that bottom line, hey, it's $60 or whatever it's going to be, and then you compare it, hey, it was 60 bucks last month or whatever, and you write out the check and you send it in. My guess is that very few people spend time actually sitting down and figuring out how, how did that, if the bill is 60 bucks, how did the 60 bucks get calculated? And I think very few people you know, end up doing that. But if you do, if you ever, I mean, just take your cable television bill or you know, if your internet provider is different, or your uh, again, or your, you know, your your cell phone bill, and you'll go through it, and what you're going to see is like the basic fee, and then you're going to see line after line after line of obscure charges and fees, most of which you're going to have no idea what they are for, and there's a reason for that, and that is because the companies don't want you to believe or to know what's going on here. Well, here's the latest story. AT&T, now this is for AT&T wireless customers. I don't mean to pick on AT&T, but because other customers do, other companies do this, but AT&T is in the news. Okay, AT&T is one of these companies that at the back of the bill, they have a whole set of, of fees. And in 2013, they introduced a, a new fee, which was supposedly for cell site maintenance and interconnection whatever that means. So it wasn't going to show up in the main charge. It's going to be buried in the list of fees. Now, they introduced this in 2013, and when they first introduced it, it was around 50 or 60 cents. Who notices 50 or 60 cents? Well, that fee, since 2013, has been increasingly increasing. Up until this spring, that fee had gone up to $1.26 per line, $1.26 per line. And with little or no fanfare this spring, AT&T jacked that fee up to close to $2 a line. And, and again, you know, let's, okay, Jeff, what's the big deal? You know, it was $0.50 cents a couple years ago. Now it's $1.26. Now it's gone up to $2, or a ballpark around $2. And, and nobody notices this, because, again, you're, it's just it's nickels and it's dimes. Well, okay, here's what AT&T has done. They're, what they're trying to do is they're trying to pay for this cost of the merger that they just you know, were involved in with, um, with Time Warner. And so they've increased this administrative, it just says administrative fee. It no longer is for cell site maintenance and, and interconnection, again, whatever that is, it's just th- this fee. Um, and you might say, well, Jeff, why are you talking about this? I mean, it's $1.26, so they increase it to around $2. Who cares? Here is the deal. AT&T wireless customers will pay almost $1 billion in new fees to the company after it increased this monthly administrative fee. They estimate that AT&T will be pocketing roughly $800 million more annually 
before the higher fee. That's what they first said in really small filings. We think we're going to get $800 million. Now the figure is revised upward. They estimate that it's going to be about $970 million. In other words, by increasing the fee that you pay um, by $0.75, cents, they generate about an extra billion dollars in revenue. And nobody really knows about this. Okay, I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are four one. Our number is four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. People don't read the small print. That is just human nature. You get the bill, looks like it's okay. You write the check. You don't notice if it's gone up a dollar or two. You know, when you sign up for the cell phone service, they or the internet or whatever, they give you the price. All right, this is how much it's going to be. And then you don't pay necessarily attention to the fees. And then once they suck you in, then, okay, we're going to add this fee, which is really, you can call it a fee, but what it really is is just, again, asking you to pay more. And you don't think that much. Okay, it's an extra 75 cents. It's an extra 50 cents. And pretty soon something that started at 50 cents or 60 cents, then it's $2. And you think, okay, well, it's only $2. Who cares? Well, then it turns out, okay, it might be $2 to you, but it's a billion dollars to the company. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question. Do you think these companies that do this should be required to give more clear notice that they are doing this and to tell you where the money is going? Or is this pure customer beware? You know, you, you get the bill, it's got the administrative fee, it says it's gone up to $2. If you looked at your bills back in 2013, the fee would have been $0.60. Cents. Is that on the consumer to pay attention to that? Or should the companies have to disclose clearly what they're doing and then tell you what that money is going to be for? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because, again, with $0.75 cents to you, turns out to be a billion dollars in essentially free money to the company. And I think most people, I don't mean to pick on AT&T here, but AT&T just did this. Most people would have had no idea that the cost of their wireless cell phone service had gone up a total of a billion dollars because of this fee that I'm willing to bet almost nobody knew about. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 143, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone. We're down here, day six of Summerfest. That is, of course, Stephen Tyler. He's performing this evening at the BMO Harris Pavilion. Matter of fact, I, I, I'm down here with my wife and some friends, and they were wandering around. A couple of them hadn't been down here for a couple of years and hadn't seen the BMO Harris Pavilion. It's, it is just an amazing facility. Right, we're, we're talking about, and, and I understand we're, we're talking about small change. I, I get it. If you're just tuning in um, with little or no notice, AT&T announced that it was raising this obscure fee, it's called an administrative fee. It appears on the very back of your phone bill. When it first was introduced in uh, like 2013, it was 50, 60, 70 cents. And it was originally designed to help ATT pay for cell phone site maintenance and interconnection. That fee no longer is limited to this. And, and it's just been increased. It's gone from, you know, 50 or 60 cents. Um, last year, up until recently, it was had gone up to a dollar twenty six, and now now it's going up to close to two dollars. 
Now, you might say, okay, well, Jeff, what's the big deal? It's 75 cents for me. That's nothing. That's, that's not even a cup of coffee. That's not even half a cup of coffee. Well, okay, that means that 75 cents, that $2 fee now generates over a billion dollars in revenue for AT&T, and almost nobody knows about it because we don't read the, the back of our bills or, or we don't care about it. And, again, you just kind of get sucked into this. Here's what I think needs to happen. Now, first of all, I, I think we as consumers, you know, need to take more responsibility for for what happens. And, and but I, of course, I recognize that people aren't going to get that cell phone bill. You're not going to get your cable bill, and you're not going to sit down and look at it line by line and figure out, okay, how did we get to this bottom number? But the reason why you need to do that is because all these costs are snuck in. And that is what these companies are doing to get into your pocket. They're sneaking in these costs. They call this an administrative fee because by adding $2 there, they don't have to put $2 on the top line as to what your monthly service is. Well, but it's all rolled in. So in some respects, I I do think there's an element of deception that's here. So, I mean, number one, we've got to pay more attention to this stuff. There's no question about it. But, But number two, I think when companies do this, I, I think they should disclose, you know, that there has been a price increase. And, and that's exactly what something like this is. It is a price increase. The cost of your service is going up, and they should have to, I think, tell you clearly that that cost has, in fact, gone up, so you don't think it's taxes or you don't think it's anything like that. I mean, I think that's what these companies have an obligation to do. And I, I, I get it. A quarter here, 50 cents here, a dollar here. You don't notice that. I don't notice that. It's not worth our time to try to break down some of the stuff we think. But then, again, it turns into a billion dollars. And it's not just A&T&T, but these various companies, they know this stuff is going on. They know that they can increase the amount of money they generate because, basically, people tend to be sheep. We're not going to pay attention to this stuff. We're not going to focus on it. And the result, of course, ends up being that they make a lot more money and we pay a lot more money without even being aware of that. So, I mean, I think that's why, you know, consumers need to be, you know, more aggressive. And and maybe it's a call for, like, trying to to shop around. Let's talk to Robert in Milwaukee. Robert, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. We don't have him. All right. Um, You know, you 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 need to... You need to be more aggressive in trying to, you know, deal with these type of things or else the the effect is that, you know, we end up getting ripped off. Okay, now we're ready. Robert Milwaukee. Robert, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. Uh, This is Robert. Hi, Robert. I've known you for many, many years. You've probably forgotten about me. You were at South Shore Coin Club probably 20 years ago, too. I don't know. But anyway. A long time ago. Get him a moment if you remember that day. Anyway, my point behind all this is I'm one of these people who does check line for line, does look at things, and believe it or not, my uh, cell phone, my uh, the uh, cable TV, the not the cell phone, but the home line, and then also the internet have doubled in cost in the last four years. So if you're getting if, you're, if they're getting two billion for seventy five cents, add up, but multiply that times a hundred dollars per person. What I tell everybody yeah. is real simple. I also own stock in AT&T and Comcast. Buy stock in that, and that offsets a little bit of your bill. But I'm to the point right now, I don't know, would you like to interject here or should I keep going? No, go ahead. I'm listening. I'm fascinated. All right. I'm at the point right now 
of saying thank you very much, goodbye to the cable, to the Internet, to everything. I don't need any of that. This is all an ex- extra luxury to me. I'm retired now. I put my time in for 40 years, paid all the taxes, did everything I was supposed to do, went to work on time, uh, did exactly what I was supposed to do in my life, and then I'm getting this kind of treatment from AT&T. I remember AT&T charging me $3.95 for a phone to hang on my wall and then paid $0.20, cents, uh, probably $0.10 cents a minute, which was exorbitant at that time, for long-distance calls. I don't know if you go back that far, but this and, – and the other thing I have to say here – Okay, Robert. Well, now I, I Robert, thank, let me. I'm, I am going to interject because I'm kind of up against the clock. And thanks for the call. But I, I, I know I, I don't go back quite that far. But I mean, th- this is one of these these factors. And I think it's. Uh, I, look, I, I understand that people make the decisions as to where they want to spend their money, and and that's that's fine with me. One of the things that's happening though is I think people are are being deceived because their, their bills are going up. They're not figuring out why it is. The companies have figured out that if you do this with these administrative fees. Right, if you take that top line thing and you say, okay, we're going to take somebody's cost for the wireless service and we're going to take that basic fee and we're going to raise it from 28 to $30 a month or, or whatever, they're going to notice that $2 up front. But if we bury it in the line that says administrative fees way in the back, they're not going to know what this is. Chances are they're not even going to look at it. All they're going to see is, oh, they're going to figure out oh, it's taxes or whatever, and here we can make that money. That's why consumers need to be educated about this stuff. But at the same time, I mean, I think companies have an obligation to disclose these type of rate increases. Just, I don't mean to pick on AT&T because other companies do it, but AT&T appears to be um, you know, r- you know, raising this to an art form. Steve on the northwest side. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Um, Hi, Steve. I share your concern about the buried fees, but really... The solution isn't economics. The solution is political. And uh, the Judiciary Committee and the Judiciary Department, uh, you know, in Congress, and then uh, the Judiciary uh, uh-huh. Department the Justice mergers. Yeah. They're not, so, you know, if the costs aren't going down, I don't want the merger. And uh, yeah. that's, that's my big thing. So if you want to control costs, Stop allowing these mergers. It doesn't matter if it's the phone industry, the energy industry, whatever it is. Uh, healthy competition is one of the tenets of a capitalist society. We seem to kind of forget that competition is supposed to exist. And well, so Steve, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree. But but keep in mind. I mean, we we just saw. I mean, the Justice Department went out on a limb, you know, had a, had a two-and-a-half-month trial, you know, trying to, you know, block some very, very high-profile mergers, uh, and, and those, that didn't work. I mean, it, it failed. So, I mean, there are limitations as to what you can do. Bottom line here is I think consumers need to be more aware of stuff because, candidly, I think there's some companies out there that are saying, hey, you guys are all ducks here. Let us pluck you. And I don't know about you, but I don't feel like being plucked by a company like AT&T. All right, back with more in just a moment. It's 154. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 209. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone down here at Summerfest. I'll be taking you up to Brewer Baseball, which starts in about 25 minutes. Speaking of Brewers Baseball, I was at the game last night. Um, I have been to a lot of games this year. I enjoy going out and watching the team. The Brewers are fun to watch. And you know what? I mean, you know what's so great about it? They actually have a chance to win this year. I mean, I don't 
I don't know. Are they going to make it to the World Series? They're going to win. I don't know. But it's fun to watch the Brewers because they're exciting. They're playing good baseball. They are competitive. I think with last night's attendance, they're at like 1.4 plus million. There is probably an outside chance if they continue in the pennant race that they're going to draw maybe 3 million people, which is incredible for a market this size. They are incredibly competitive, and it's fun to watch. And part of the reason it's fun is that they may might win. All right, I am looking at the list of the last several NBA finalists. 2018, Golden State Warriors beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA Finals four games to none. 2017, the Golden State Warriors beat the Cleveland Cavaliers four games to one. 2016, the Cleveland Cavaliers beat the Golden State Warriors four games to three. 2015, the Golden State Warriors beat the Cleveland Cavaliers four games to two. All right, so let, let me let me do the math here. The last four years, the same two teams have been in the finals. Golden State from the West, Cleveland from the East. Golden State's won three out of those four years. That's been how it was. The two years before that, 2013, Miami beat San Antonio. And then the year after that, San Antonio beat Miami. So for the last six years, there have only been four different teams that have played in the NBA Finals. For the last four years, it's only been Golden State, and it's been Cleveland. All right. Um, Most of the, what are there, 30 teams in the NBA? The truth is, opening day, the reality is, you can play the whole year, they're not going to win. And it just, it's going to be Golden State, or it's going to be Cleveland, or some other team. That's just what has happened there. Now, I bring this up because there was an announcement in the NBA yesterday, and you don't need to be a follower of pro basketball to, to participate in the conversation that we are going to have. Um, Golden State, which is, they play out of, of Oakland, is essentially the, the super team. They are the New York Yankees of the, the, the Babe Ruth era. Um, they have... Arguably the best guard that plays for him, a guy named Steph Curry. Kevin Durant, who is one of the two or three best players in the NBA, he signed with them. They have another couple all-stars, Clay Thompson and Andre Iguodala. And then what happened yesterday is arguably the, the best center in the NBA, a guy named Demarcus Cousins, who previously played for New Orleans. He agreed to a one-year deal with Golden State. Now, the interesting thing about this is last year he made $17 million. The deal he, the deal he signed pays him only $5.3 million. So he's taking dramatically less than he's worth to play for. Now, he's coming off of an injury, but he's taking dramatically less than he's worth to play for Golden State. So now what you essentially have is you have five of the best players in the NBA that are all on this one team. In, in other words, all right, why bother playing the season? It was interesting because after Cousins made the decision that he was going to take dramatically less money than he could be entitled to to um, sign with Golden State, um, the Twitterverse went wild. Social media went wild. But this time, it was it was NBA players who were all saying, this is crazy. What the you-know-what? What are we doing here with this, guys? What is going on? Because the bottom line is, when you allow essentially this all-star team to be assembled, there, there's no competitive balance at all. 
Now, I don't know, is Golden State going to win all 82 games? Probably not. But are we going to be sitting here next year and looking at, again, who the champion was? Well, it sure looks like it, because the way the NBA has now been structured, and I, I'm sorry, my friends at the Bucks, the Bucks don't have a chance. They, they, they just don't. No other team has a chance, because the way the NBA has been structured is it's all... You know, the, the superstars that have decided that they want to be able to play together, they make so much money that it doesn't matter. I mean, one year after you made $17 million for the last four or five years, so what if you take a job to only pay $5 million or whatever? But the point is, from a competitive balance standpoint, all these other teams really have no chance of winning, unlike the NFL where, all right, not all 32 teams have a chance to win the Super Bowl, but there's probably, you know, 10 or 12 teams that have a, a, a decent chance to get to the Super Bowl, depending on how the season works out. Similarly, you know, with Major League Baseball, there's 30 teams. I can't, I can probably tell you 15 that have no chance to make it to the World Series. Maybe I can tell you 20, but there's a bunch of other teams that at least have a chance. In the NBA, there's no competition effectively because they have allowed the creation of these super teams, the guys that want to play together. Now, I mean, I understand if you're, you know, if you're a ball player, I mean, I get it. You want to have the championship, you want to have the championship ring, so you take less money than you're worth. But from the perspective of the fans, I think this this kills the game. Our number 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, if you are a fan of pro basketball, I, I'll name drop here. My, my friend John McLaughlin, he always tells I, I am much more interested in college basketball than I am in, in professional basketball for a number of reasons. But if you want to look at, at issues, trying to generate interest in teams and trying to generate reasons why people should pay tickets or pay you know for the tickets to show up um, or to watch the games on TV or to listen to the games on the radio, you need to have some degree of competitive balance. And I think one of the reasons that a lot of people, if they haven't tuned out to the NBA, are going to start tuning out to the NBA is because there isn't this competitive balance. The players essentially get to decide who they want to play with. Their efforts at salary caps aren't working. So you have, again, a super team or two super teams that are out there. So it's why, like, why bother playing the NBA season because... You know, at the end of the day, we know how it's going to all turn out. 414-799-1620. Let's take a quick break. Then we'll be back with more calls, with your calls in just a moment. I, I think this is going to ultimately kill the NBA. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Bishop Briggs. She's performing at the Briggs and Stratton Big Backyard, 10 o'clock this evening, down here at Summerfest. All right, 414-799-1620. It was inter- interesting yesterday because, I mean, Golden State, in the we're talking sports here, Golden State and the NBA, they've been in the last four NBA finals. They've won of the three of the last four years. They pretty much just guarantee that they're going to win next year because arguably the best big man or one of the best big men in the game, DeMarcus Cousins, he decided, I'm going to take lots less than market value. People might pay me $25 million. I'm going to take $5 million. I'm going to sign with Golden State. And even a lot of NBA players are going, what's going on here? Because... They've recognized that, you know, essentially, why bother playing the season? Because Golden State's going to win next year. Is this going to, again, kill, ultimately, the NBA? Let's start with Josh on the south side. Hi, Josh. Yeah, I'm not a fan of uh, 
the super teams, but ironically that it's becoming more popular around the world and a lot of people do like the super teams and the star driven league. Um, mm-hmm. but if you're a Buck, I'm a Bucks fan, but people go to see other teams. Like Jordan was during the Jordan years, they were dominant, mm-hmm. you know, during the bird magic years, they were dominant too. So yeah, the competitive thing is a problem. And if it ends up, they dominate, I think the NBA will change the rules, but, it's really getting a popularity, especially around the world. Maybe older people don't like it, but definitely the. Well, but if, I guess I mean, my, I mean, I mean. So I mean, I understand. Okay, you you know you you go to uh, so Golden State's going to play in Milwaukee one time. So okay, I mean the, the game's a sellout. I get it, and you know the Bucks are fun to watch, and they've got Giannis and, and stuff. And they're entertaining, but at some point in time, if it gets so that the reality is you you've got there's only going to be two or three teams that really have a realistic chance to win at some point in time you know is that going to hurt the competitive balance is, is it going to hurt are people going to say well why bother going to the majority of the games because my team's not going it has no chance to win the championship and it never will i think it kind of the nba kind of transcends that because it's about stars and and uh, great plays and I, it, it's a long As opposed to team sure. loyalty. I mean, I, I go to watch the Brewers because I'm, I'm pulling for the Brewers. I want to see the Brewers win, um, and that's why I go to the games. I guess, you know, teams that are good in baseball, I don't think people, except for the Cubs, they don't really show up. I couldn't tell you one person on the Astros. But people know players around the NBA, so it's kind of right. a, different, a different animal. Okay. Well, thanks. For, I mean, well, and obviously, I mean, I mean, right now the NBA the NBA is is hot, and at least for the last couple of years, the fact that there's only one or two, I mean, I think it's just amazing, and I don't I don't know that you see that in any other sport, at least not recently. I mean, you look at the Super Bowl; there's always different players in the Super Bowl. They have that competitive balance that they're ch- uh, striving for because I mean, the, the bottom line is I, I think it's exciting that all sorts of teams. You know, can win as opposed to well, why bother following the? Why bother worrying about the season? Because we guarantee that there's only going to be one team that's there. Um, let's talk to um, let's see, David and Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. <clears throat> I just wanted. I, I think actually I'm going to have to disagree with them. The simple reason is that the previous caller brought up Michael Jordan and the dominance of the Bulls in the 1980s. But if you go back even further in the 1980s, if you remember, the Celtics and the Lakers were almost always yep. in the finals. And the Bucks were really close, but they either get knocked out by the Celtics or the Sixers. And, and unfortunately, in, before my time, in the 1960s, the Celtics were pretty much winning it every single year with, uh, uh, with uh, Phil Russell and Will Chamberlain and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it, it's one of those things with, uh, you know, I think in basketball you have uh, more of an opportunity of a dynasty because you only need five players. But in football, you yeah, you only need one superstar. And, yeah, right. Yeah, a superstar can really. I mean, LeBron, to his credit, has taken not only Cleveland, but you know when he was with Miami, those teams to championships because he is such a superior player than what most uh, players are in the NBA. So, yeah, you know, the way I look at it, the Bucks now actually will have a little bit of a better opportunity now that it's out of the, out of the conference, right? Yeah, no, David, and that, that's true. And LeBron James, you know, who was one of these guys who could just dominate a game, you know, right, he, he's he's now, you know, going to be playing for Los Angeles. But I guess my, 
I, I will be interested to see how this plays out because I, I think, to me as a sports fan, and, and I'm a Stone Cold sports fan, the, the idea that, okay, my, my beloved Packers or my beloved Brewers have a chance to, to win, maybe not every year, but they, they're, they're going to be competitive. They've got a chance to win. If we knew that it was going to just be the Yankees every year or it was just going to be the Red Sox every year, I, I think my interest would be, okay, well, why – why I'll go out to a couple games, but why go out to as many games as you're going to go out to? Or why follow the team on, on the radio? Why follow the team on television if they don't have any chance to win? That's why it's just so exciting to be part of a Brewer season where they've really, I think, got a pretty darn good chance to win or at least go far. Um, in the NBA, I'm not sure that's there anymore. It's 225. We'll uh, wrap up and get it to the Brewers in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 228. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. That's Brit Bishop Briggs performing at the Briggs and Stratton Big Backyard, 10 o'clock this evening. We've been broadcasting all day from Summerfest. This, it really is a great day, and I know a lot of people are on vacation. You know, come on down. There's no better spot to watch the fireworks from than the, from the Summerfest grounds. The weather is absolutely perfect. My wife and a number of her friends have been down here. I guess they're my friends, too, wandering around. It's amazing the people that you see. Steve Scafidi and his wife were just walking past. Um, my, my dear friend Dean, who is the son of my best friend, he's working right behind us at the LL Bean thing. So my wife apparently stopped over and bought a bunch of stuff. It's like, okay, you know, all right, well, that's okay. We're all patronizing the things at Summerfest and that's great. I hope you have an outstanding 4th of July. As I've always said, um, first day of Summerfest, 4th of July, my birthday, Christmas, couple other days, my very, very favorite days of the year. So this entire thing, I mean, tonight, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be out at the Menominee Falls Parade. Eric Bilstadt's going to be riding in the car. I'm going to be waving at him from the sidelines, and we're going to be looking at the fireworks. I'm going to be um, at a, one of the local parks tomorrow night watching the fireworks. It, it's just tremendous. I was talking to my friend Jessie Ritka from uh, today's TMJ4. She was down here saying it's going to be a little bit warm tomorrow, but I think all the forecasts say that the rain is going to hold off. So we're going to all be in a position where we can you know, really enjoy some great summer weather. We certainly deserve it. If you are out and about over the next couple of days, please, you know, be smart. We want to have you continue to be a listener for the foreseeable future. So, I mean, take it easy, get the designated drivers, all sorts of stuff, but enjoy all the things that we have going on around here. Bottom line is for people who say, well, there's really nothing to do in southeastern Wisconsin. Well, you're not paying attention. Because-